Welcome to another episode of Berean's Podcast. Each week, we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the Scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real-life change and that the power of the Gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Good morning, Living Church. It's great to see you here and to interact with you. There's something about being physically together that we really need. God knew that, and he knew that we needed to gather. We're doing a series this summer uh, called A Few of My Favorite Things, but that doesn't mean they're always light and fluffy things. Uh, Today, I'm going to bring you a, a message on a passage that's one of my most uncomfortable favorite things. It's a very disquieting passage And it's found in Joshua chapter 24. So if you're able to stand in honor of God's word, will you stand as we read Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we are stunned by the events of the last couple of weeks. We can't keep up with the waves of news that's coming our way from Afghanistan and other parts of the world. We're angry. We're sad. We're confused. We thank you, Lord, that you know all about this. It's not taking you by surprise, but so much mystery for us that we don't understand. So much fear in the air. So we thank you that, Lord, your Holy Spirit prays for us when we don't know how to pray. That you're interceding for each one of us individually, for our families, our marriages, our homes. You're interceding for those who guard us. You're interceding for the nations. You're interceding for your living church here and around the world. And you have not left the stage nor abandoned your omnipotence. We just fall on that today, Lord. And if ever there was a time that these verses should be applied, it's today. So help us. Visit each one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I am old and well advanced in years. Oh, that's not about me. That's how Joshua began his last address to the people. He was 110 years old, a grizzled old veteran. What a long and storied career this man lived. He was the go-to guy. He was the staff sergeant. Give me something to do, I'll get her done. That was Joshua. Just the other day, Joanne and I were in a young couple's apartment, and they had on their wall, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
I love that. I love seeing that in the commitment of a young man, a young woman, a young couple. But how much greater is it to see it tattooed on the life of an old man, 110 years old, saying, I want to go forward serving the Lord. That's Joshua. Joshua is not a proper name. It's a verb. His whole life was one of action. He was born a slave in Egypt. He experienced the plagues and the exodus. He walked through the parted Red Sea. He was one of the 12 spies, one of the two spies who brought back a positive report. He endured 40 years of waiting in the desert, eating manna. He was Moses' chief lieutenant and successor. And then he became the conquering warrior who went in and actually got the land for the people along with them. And then he allotted the land to the tribes And now he's 110 years old, and he's finishing well. And he's addressing the people for the last time. And here's the picture of the promised land as as Joshua is speaking. The 12 tribes have now been allotted their portions. They still have enemies to drive out. It's not quite finished yet. He's at Shechem, which is symbolic because Shechem, which is about 30 miles north of Jerusalem, was the place where Moses built the original altar to God, as God promised him this land. And it's a time of rest for the children of Israel. They were now at relative peace. It was now as Joshua's final challenge, and then he's giving them his parting words, and it's more than just the two verses I read you. It's all of chapter 23 and 24 in Joshua. But he gives this personal skin-in-the-game kind of climax where he looks them in the eye and says, choose, I choose, you choose this day whom you will serve. Because Joshua gets it. He recognizes there's, there's nothing worse than an army at rest. There's nothing worse than a peacetime force that doesn't have a purpose and an objective. Unfortunately, we're seeing that on a, on a worldwide scale. There's actually one thing more dangerous, and that's an army in retreat. It's, it's dangerous to everybody involved, and it's, it's tragic what we're watching. And Joshua was saying, listen, there's no sliding scale here. It isn't a, a spectrum that you can have a little of this and a, a little of that. No, this is either or. It's yes or no. You're in or you're out. And the challenge I'm giving you today is going to make or break not only your lives, but your nation. This whole passage has some new relevance for all of us today, doesn't it? As we watch the stark choice that is being made by Christians in Afghanistan. That the choice they've made to follow Jesus is putting them and their whole families at dire risk. Have I really ever chosen my Lord with that kind of clarity? Have I ever really contemplated that when I say I choose you, that my whole life is at your disposal? Many of those Christians are running for the caves and hiding. Some of them are turning around and saying, and I'm encouraged by this testimony from other ministries, they're saying we believe we are being left in Afghanistan to evangelize the Taliban. What, what courage, what faith. 
And this is Joshua's challenge, whether it's a a gun at your head or whether it's just a creeping strangulation of our our way of life, the the slight losses we're feeling every day, whether it's in, in curriculum or the pressures that we're feeling, do I choose to follow him? Well, they make a a hasty and unreflective agreement with Joshua, and they say this in verse 16. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did those things and signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. They say this. They say, well, wait a minute. Look at our doctrinal statement. We still stand there. And look at all of our history. Of course, we want to serve the Lord. But Joshua looks at them with his piercing gaze through his grizzled forehead And here's what he says. You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you, and after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. They were unaware that there had been some infiltration. There had been some some drift in their commitment. There had been some slippage, some intermixing. And Joshua was saying, listen, you can't start serving the Lord unless you stop serving another master. You can't embrace lordship unless you renounce the power over your life. And so Joshua is going to help them understand this by using three verbs to help them follow the Lord and serve him as they should. And the first verb calls for some costly renunciation. The first verb he uses in verse 14 of chapter 24 is put away the gods that your fathers served. So before you speculate about external threats, before you arm yourselves up, there needs to be some internal inventory. There needs to be some cleansing and some clarity in your hearts about who it is that you really serve. And he repeats that in Joshua 24, verse 23. He says, then put away the foreign gods and don't incline your heart toward them. And in chapter 23, he he defines what this means. What it means is there should be no mixing. In other words, not that you don't live in this culture, but there should be no assimilation. Don't be spiritually assimilated. There should be no mentioning. In other words, don't become casual and comfortable by by talking about the the anti-God philosophies or the anti-biblical worldviews. Don't just become comfortable talking about those things. There should be no swearing or invoking the power of these alternative gods. There should be no serving, no obeying their dictates, and there should be certainly no bowing, no worshiping of them. And we quickly say, but I don't have any idols. Well, my my Lexus maybe, but other than that, 
I didn't sacrifice a chicken on my way to church. I don't have the temple that I worship in. I, I don't worship before a, a fertility god like Baal that, that would promise my business to prosper and, and my harvest to be great. I don't worship an erotic idol for pleasure like Aphrodite in the temple. And I don't worship a, an idol of power like Molech that I would give my children to him to guarantee their future. But not so fast because... Money, sex, and power exercises huge authority in our culture. And you may have unquestioned loyalties and strings that get pulled by the circumstances that are in your life. For example, we often think it's not strange at all that we would sacrifice two full days a week two full work days a week, every week, for the rest of our lives, to have a house. Or we unquestioningly, unquestioningly run because of fear and spend our time and our money fearing that our children might miss out on an opportunity for education or sports or advancement or talent? How often do we cringe or, or be repulsed by any lack of convenience or personal freedom or question that in someone else? You see, an idol can be any kind of power that works in us. Here's a definition of an idol. It's anything, it's any experience, it's any accomplishment or any comfort that promises me life without God's help. It makes it seem more accessible and easier to get at. So we need to seriously ask ourselves the question, what idols did my fathers serve? Not just back in Egypt for the Israelites, but in my own family system. What were the idols that I was steeped in that were baked into me that I automatically serve and I need to recognize those because you can't start unless you stop. You can't embrace unless you renounce. What are those idols? What idols do Americans serve? What messages do I heed without reflection? What vows have I made to myself that hold power over my decision-making? Now, these things may not be irredeemably bad. They may be right in their own measure. But here's a thought experiment for all of us. What makes me angry? What makes me feel guilty? What makes me feel fearful? We will do almost anything to get rid of those dark negative emotions, that big three, anger, guilt, and fear. And often lying just beneath the surface is a silent controller, a little manipulator, an Oz behind the curtain, pulling the levers, telling us, do what you've always done. Do what you've been taught to do. And Joshua is saying, you need to put away those powers, those things that hold you, the things that give you that, automatically, uh, that automatic reflex against everything else, despite the the pressures that you feel, despite the, the multiple fronts on which you fight, you need to ask yourself the question, what is beneath the surface that's controlling me? So all of us as believers, 
need to test our beliefs against the scripture all the time. We need to ask ourselves, is my political ideology or my social activism or my financial philosophy or my parenting style, is it aligned with what God's word and a biblical worldview is teaching me or is it being manipulated by something from the past, something that seems more accessible than God himself? We cannot afford to drift aimlessly. We can't afford to be an army at rest. We can't afford to just mindlessly follow the things that we react to. We need to ask the question, what do I need to renounce? Now, a great example to us in this is is that vertically challenged man, Zacchaeus. Jesus found him in Jericho up in a tree. He said, come and follow me. I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus gave his life and his heart and his devotion to the Lord. And here's what he says in Luke chapter 19. It says, look, Lord, here and now. And he names his obedience. Not only do I follow you, but I renounce. If I have done anything wrong, I'm going to give half of what I've taken to the poor. And if I've done any injustice to someone, I will repay it fourfold. It was not just an obedience to Jesus. There was a renunciation of his former way of life. And I have to ask myself, as I ask you this morning, is there any sense of that dual necessity in my life? I say I want to serve the Lord. What am I dragging along with that? Is there something that needs to be left behind? I was here yesterday with about 200 men in a men's breakfast And several men got up to talk about how God has broken the strongholds in their life, that they were dragging old powers with them, and they knew that it was shortcutting any use they were to the Lord, and it was shortcutting their joy and their marriages. And when God revealed it, and through fellowship and the word and prayer, they've been able to put that behind them and renounce it, they're walking into freedom. Is there any sense of that renunciation? Lord, to really follow you, this is my current obedience that I need to put behind me so that I can follow you fully. So that's the first verb, and that is to put away. That brings us to the second verb of Joshua's instruction, and that calls for a committed loyalty. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. And he's not talking here about choosing up teams. He's not talking about the the rules of engagement by the military. He's talking here about relational terms. He's talking about marital fidelity. Here's what Jeremiah said. You know, Jeremiah 31, he said, I'm going to come and give you a a new heart. It's going to be a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. I'm going to put it within you. But here's what he says at the end of that verse. He says, my covenant they broke though I was their husband. God is calling you and me to a relational fidelity with him. Choose this day whom you will serve. In Joshua 23, verse 11, Joshua says at the beginning of his speech, be very careful to love the Lord your God. Here he's just repeating what his mentor Moses taught him in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord your God, 
is one, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Before all these other obediences come in, I'm calling you to obey the Lord. God is calling on the heart to attach to him, to return to him, to be nurtured by him, to rest in him, to have a relationship with him. It's easy for us to say, oh, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Okay, is it really? Am I really loving the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? This is what this choosing means. Maybe some of you at your wedding use the old, old English vow, forsaking all others, I plight thee my troth. It's easy to say if you don't know what a troth is. Never saw one, never owned one, but whatever it is, you can have it. I plight thee my troth. What does that mean? You know what troth means? It means truth. It means fidelity. And and what is a plight? A plight is putting yourself under risk. This is my plight. I am placing myself here alone. And I am putting myself at risk to promise you that I will have fidelity toward you, forsaking all others. My plight is that I'm going to be true to you. This is what Joshua is talking about, this kind of fidelity. And he says to them, this stone is now a witness against you because this is what you need to do. I'm all for devotion. I love seeing the passion of young couples. I love seeing their intentionality and their desire and and their, their sense of loyalty. And it can be very, very strong, but it won't hold unless there's a commitment. And so the second verb here is to choose, to have a committed loyalty. My mentor in college told me there is no growth without commitment. Otherwise, it's just window shopping and tourism. Unless you drive a stake in and say, in front of these people, this witness of my baptism, this vow before you in my marriage, this statement before my enemies, I choose the Lord. When you make that commitment, you grow (laughs) because the commitment will keep you. We have many, many Choices to make in our culture today. If, um, if you're tired of sleeping at night, <laughs> I want to recommend a book to you. It's called Live Not by Lies. Uh, the title is taken from uh, an essay written by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. You might not recognize that name. How mean is it to name a boy with eight syllables? But Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a um, well-known dissident in the Soviet Union in the 1970s. He became such a pain in the neck that they, they got rid of him. They sent him to the West. And when he came to America, we thought, oh, he's going to extol our way of life. He's going to celebrate all that we have. But he ended up being a, a pretty prophetic critic of the soft underbelly of our nation, and he warned us about many things. 
But he said this, one of his last essays was he said, live not by lies. So let me, let me quote from this book by Rod Dreher a little bit. What did it mean to live by lies? It meant accepting without protest all the falsehoods and propaganda that the state compelled its citizens to affirm, or at least not to oppose them, to get along peaceably under totalitarianism. Everybody says that they have no choice but to conform, says Solzhenitsyn, and to accept powerlessness, but that is the the lie that gives all the other lies their malign force. The ordinary man may not be able to overturn the kingdom of lies, but he can at least say that he's not going to be its loyal subject. Rod Dreher, who wrote this book, goes on to say this, the task of the Christian today is to personally commit herself or himself to live not by lies. How can she do that alone? She needs to draw close to authentic spiritual leadership, clerical, lay, or both, and form small cells of fellow believers with whom she can pray, sing, study scripture, and read other books important to their mission. With her cell, the dissident discusses the issues and challenges facing them as Christians, especially challenges to their liberties. Rod Dreyer goes on to document how he believes, and I agree with him, that our nation is not at risk from hard totalitarianism, which would be guns and the gulags of the Soviet system, but that rather we are at risk of soft totalitarianism that is brought to us by the media, by academia, by corporations, schools, and sports, that slowly squeezes us into conformity and out of liberty, not with a gun at our head, but with the risk of being canceled or ridiculed or isolated. Over the last two weeks, I've talked with about a dozen people who, for conscience sake, are not wanting to be vaccinated. Now, we're not an anti-vax church. That's not what we're saying. We are a pro-freedom church. You need to decide what your conscience needs to decide. This is an issue of, of freedom of conscience. But they, for one reason or another, do not want to receive the vaccine. And so they are at risk because they, they're saying, I, I believe before God, this is the decision I need to make. I'm not imposing that on anybody else, nor am I, by the way. But I believe that God doesn't want me to do this. And so they're resisting that at the cost, possibly, of their jobs. Now, you might be facing another conscientious decision. It might be about the school your children attend or about the curriculum that is being taught or that, that you need to teach or the policies that you need to enforce. It might be about what, you need, what kind of training you're being forced to take. How do, I, how do I walk in all of that? Well, I can't answer all those difficult questions, but the Lord is leading us to say, I'm going to choose Somehow in all of this mystery, I'm going to choose to follow him. I'm going to make a a conscious, committed loyalty to follow him. And you might be thinking, well, if I I make this choice, it's not going to change the tide. It won't change anything. Nobody else is making the choice with me. What good does it do? Well, what it says is I'm doing this for the sake and the name of the Lord whom I serve. 
And across this body, there's going to be many kinds of decisions that we won't all individually need to make or even agree with. But we need to recognize that before the Lord, your king and your master, he will ask you to make some decisions, and it may seem very lonely to do so. I've talked with some people this morning in that same situation. And if you make that decision, how do you know that it won't make a difference? How do you know it won't make a difference for your children, your family, your neighbors, your community? Because even Joshua said, one man who follows the Lord can put at flight a thousand of his enemies. And here's what it says at the end of Joshua 24, that all of Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and the elders who outlived Joshua. You can have an influence. You will have an influence. But there are some hard choices coming our way. So how do we keep on choosing? How do we keep on committing? Here's some basic things, but they're basic, so we need to make them all the time. First of all, have a high view and a submitted attitude towards Scripture. Joshua was told in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you should meditate on it day and night so that you're careful to do everything that is written in it. He started that at the beginning of his ministry. He did it at the, in the middle when they failed as a nation, and now again at the end as he challenges them. <clears throat> the Scripture needs to have central place in our life. Secondly, accept the plain teaching of Scripture. Receive it. Be submitted to it. Don't let yourself follow, fall into the, the postmodern thinking that starts thinking about God like, like this. Well, I like to think of God like this. Or I can't believe God would ever. That's a terrible place to start because it will lead you down a dark hole of your own speculation. We need to receive with gladness and accept what God plainly teaches. Then we need to, de to defend and proclaim what God teaches about the, the, the condition of the world, that the world is caught in sin. Every single person is caught in sin, but the Savior has come and, is, and salvation is free and redemption is what we dream about, not utopia that we've made up, but the redemption of God. And then we need to stand firm on moral issues that are very plain in Scripture, things like the fact that Jesus is the one and only way to God. He's a one hope for eternal life. The fact that, that life is, is sanctified by God, we are to, to fight for life, to be pro-life people who understand what God has made that in the created order there is male and female, that there's a definition of marriage that helps families and children thrive, and that there is a biblical justice that shows no partiality that we ought to pursue. Those are huge topics, but they're basic ones. We need to keep choosing those things. And that brings us to our third verb from Joshua, and that calls for a cultivated obedience. It says, we will serve the Lord. If love sets the direction, and if choosing is the starting point and the point of no return, then serving is our daily walk. It's the reiteration of our daily obedience to Him. True loyalty is forged in the daily choices that we make, the hard circumstances we walk into with obedience and the difficult situations that we rely on God to help us do that. And Joshua says, I want you to serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. And he must have thought a lot about this word serve because he uses it 16 times in this chapter. 
He uses it six times in the two verses that we're examining today. So when we think about serving the Lord, we're not talking about your your few hours that you might serve in a ministry here. That's good. That is service. But what we're talking about is serving the Lord as you go into your world, that you recognize yourself as one who represents the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and I serve him. Joshua says in chapter 23, verse 11, be very careful to love the Lord your God. Not just react to the latest news, not just take an offense, not just be frustrated and angry and reactive, but to love the Lord first and love him with your whole heart. Again, we have a stark and chilling picture from Afghanistan that we've been watching. And some of this we can only speculate about because we can't see it. And that is Christians who will be giving their own blood because they've named Jesus. And not only their own, but that of their families and even their associations and friends. They are walking in the faith of Hebrews chapter 11, where it says, not seeing the promises, they greeted them from afar off. And not seeing the city, but longing for a new country. They follow God in that. They're looking for a better country. They're living as exiles and strangers in this world. And it says at the end of Hebrews 11, God is not ashamed to be called their God. If you're planning on serving Jesus, the question is, am I cultivating an obedience today to the thing he's handing me today? Am I praying through the dilemmas that I'm facing, the struggles that I have? Am I I cultivating a friendship with others who can help walk me through this? Am I willing and obedient to say, yes, Lord, to the step he will give me? And am I willing to suffer pain? Am I willing to be vilified for simply standing up for the truth? Am I willing to be ostracized or talked about or canceled because I ask a simple question about evidence or what is obvious? All of these things make it more difficult to serve the Lord, but do we know what it is to really say, because of all this, Lord, I serve you? I want to read one last uh, section out of this book, Live Not By Lies, and it's just a warning to us and yet a call to us. It's talking about communism in the old Soviet system, and it says this, the communism was a revolution that began as an attempt to right historical injustices quickly, and it quickly became an exterminationist exercise of raw power. Communists justified the imprisonment, ruin, and even the execution of people who stood in the way of progress as necessary to achieve historical justice over allegedly, alleged exploiters of privilege. Then it says this, a softer, bloodless form of the same logic is at work in American institutions, academia, the government, and many corporations. Progressives advance their malignant, concept of justice, in part by terrorizing dissenters. 
If you name Jesus, you don't have to be obnoxious. You don't have to pick a fight. But the fight will come to you because you serve a king not of this world. And you serve someone who says what the world says must be evaluated and often it needs to be jettisoned because it's untrue and it's harmful and you serve me. So if you're young or old, if you're at rest or at war, if you're new in your career or you're retired, the question is, Will you be a verb? Will you put away the idols that trigger your unexamined reflexes? Will you choose with commitment to follow him? And will you actively cultivate service to him, daily obedience to him? What the world needs is more and deeper disciples of Jesus in every avenue of life. And you are those disciples. And your power is being given out there to the world. Your witness is going to be seen in the world. You need to trust him for that. And it will also be a testimony and a lighthouse for your family and all those who see you in your neighborhoods and your associations to be a disciple of Jesus. And that's our great joy. I, was, I just recalled a, an old Nike poster that I've, I saw way back in my college running days. And uh, it was a, a picture of all these scrawny runners, and they were leaning over like this. And they were catching their breath after what was obviously a long, hard run. And the poster said this, the harder you pushed, the more you were pulled. What that means is, you can't do this alone. These guys ran together, and they all pushed hard, but they were pulled along by the the fellowship in that race. And that's who we are as the body of Christ. We need to choose this day whom we serve. And to do it together, I believe that God is keeping his remnant He's forming his remnant, and the remnant doesn't have to be small, but it does have to be committed to him. And by his grace, you and I will be part of that remnant as he completes the mysterious way he's bringing to the end all things on this earth. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you today that you are working. We want to walk with you, Lord, through the mystery, toward the mystery of how you're making the nations come and go, how you're raising up one and tearing down another. And we just don't understand. But, Lord, we do understand when you speak to us from your word about obedience. We do understand when you point out to us a power or an idol that we need to get rid of. We do understand what it is to have the joy of your voice saying, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to be that boy. We want to be that girl. We want to be your children. So, Lord, I pray that you will apply this to a great, great number of individual situations this morning and help us to obey it. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. We know that there are many burdens that we carry, many concerns we have, and so we'd like to pray with you, and there'll be a prayer team here in front if you want to come down when the service is closed. They'll pray with you. We have a a ministry of prayer across the hall as well over in that section across the commons. Or you can tell us on the the Connect uh, tab on on the website that you'd like to either connect with us or you'd like to give us a prayer request. We want to walk through this. We have to walk through this together. In all the confusion and disruption, God has a purpose for the body of Christ, this particular body of Christ. So walk with us. Continue to worship with us. And uh, thank you for worshiping with us today. God bless you. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our faith family or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website, bereanbaptist.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.